The scripture that we have before us today comes from John chapter 1, John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. A while back, I was sitting in a, a Sunday school class, and one of the ladies was telling us about how she went into the store, and, and you've probably seen this in the stores by now. Uh, she went in, and there was all these Christmas decorations, and she saw a big sign that said, I still believe. She said she just got excited. Here was a, a, a store that was proclaiming that they still believe in the birth of Jesus. And so she had to get back there. So she went through the aisles and she said as she turned the aisle, she saw the sign, I still believe, and right below the sign was Santa Claus. And of course, we run into this every year as Christians where it's the Christmas season and we know the Christmas story, we believe in the Christmas story, and yet we're surrounded by a world that sees this as one of many holidays at this time. In fact, what you'll often hear people say is, happy holidays, because there's more than one holiday going on this month. Of course, we call it Christmas Day and everybody opens their gifts on the 25th of December, but we're still in a world that sees this as one of many reasons to be, to be celebrating this month. So we as Christians are often concerned with what we would say is putting Christ back into Christmas. That's one of the goals that we have as a church is we want people to know what's so special about the Christmas story and so we proclaim that there is a meaning to that word in Christmas. Christ is the meaning of this season, of this holiday. So we turn to John chapter 1 to see what does it mean for us as Christians to put the Christ back into Christmas. Well, as we get in the opening verses, John is telling us about a certain man, and who is this man? Go ahead and put on the first slide there. Who is he? Who are we talking about? Well, of course we're talking about Jesus, but John is opening his book and he wants to describe to us who this person is. Well, first of all, he calls this person the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, 
We don't want to get too deep into this conversation because we could spend all day, but there's enough to say that John was using the language of the pagans that lived around him. You see, the pagans that lived around him, they weren't quite sure if there was a God, who the God was, what he contained, what was contained in this thing that was out there. And so the word that they used was word. They said, there is a divine reason that is in heaven. He is the smartest of the smarts. All ideas come from him. All things come from him. But we don't know who that person is, so we're going to call him the Word. Interestingly, the Jewish people had a name for this as well. They called this person personified wisdom. And you'll find this in in the book of Proverbs. What would happen if wisdom came down as a person and talked to us? What would that person look like? Well, John, what he's saying to the people that are reading this book is, hey, we've met this person. This person, the smartest of smarts, the creator of all things, the person that's in heaven, all things have flowed through him, that person, the word, is Jesus. We've met him. And so John opens up his book about Jesus saying, stop searching out there for God. We have found him in the person of Jesus Christ. And so John opens up. Jesus is the word. Well, then he says, in the beginning. So what does that imply but that this person, Jesus, lived before the beginning because he was there when the beginning happened. So Jesus is outside of time. How old is Jesus? Well, he's older than the earth. He's older than the universe. If we were to celebrate his birthday, we would have an infinite number of candles on the cake. John is trying to describe that Jesus is outside of time, and so that gets us to the next step. Well, if he's outside of time and he's personified wisdom, if he's divine reason, then where is he? Well, he is with God. He was always with God. He is always with God. That is a description of the relationship that he has with God. He is a son to the Father. And and John talks about this a little bit later, that the glory Jesus shows us is only that which is begotten from the Father. So what we know is that this word, this divine reason, this person, Jesus, is outside of time. He was always with God. But wait, there's more. He is God. So he's not just a person that's below God. He's not this uh, great angel. He's not this this, uh, piece of heaven or a piece of God. He is God. So he has a relationship with God, but he is also God himself, which would blow people's minds. And in fact, Christians were laughed out of the marketplace. Christians were laughed out of the philosophical circles because they truly believed that this person, Jesus, was who God is. So he's outside of time. He's with God. He was God. He's also the one through which God created everything. And so John describes him this way. He says, without him, Nothing would be made that has been made. Not only did he make everything, but if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't have anything. Everything you see was made through Jesus. 
So are you impressed with this person yet? If you're searching for God, at this point in your reading, you should go, I found him. I have found who I've been looking for. God is in Jesus Christ. But the story doesn't end there because John goes on and, and he sort of describes who this person is not. He is not just a prophet. And John has this little section where he talks about this man called John the Baptist and how John the Baptist was a prophet and he came into the world to prepare the world to receive Jesus. Now, we could do a whole message just on John and what his commission was to pronounce the coming of Jesus Christ, but we're, that's not where the message is going. Maybe next year. But John is putting this in there to let you know and let his readers know who would have read this around the time of, of the early Christians that that man, John the Baptist, was not Jesus Christ. And also, Jesus Christ was not just a prophet. We've probably heard that a number of times from people that want to explain away who Jesus is. They might say, well, Jesus was a good moral teacher. Jesus, Jesus was a very famous rabbi. Well, Jesus was, was a good prophet for the Jewish community. You know what C.S. Lewis says about that? He says if that's all Jesus was, he was the worst teacher and the worst prophet in Jewish history if he wasn't God because he equated himself to God. He told people that he was the Messiah. So he has to be more than just a prophet. He has to be more than just a teacher. But why did John come? John came to prepare people to receive Jesus Christ. So now, why did Jesus come? So here's what we know. We know who he is. He is God. He was with God. He has a relationship with God. He is the creator of all things. He is outside of time. And although he is a prophet, he is more than just a prophet. Although he is a teacher, he is more than just a teacher. He is our Messiah. He is our Savior. So why did he come? Well, he came to enlighten man. That is to say, he came to have us share in a relationship with God. So, so who was Jesus? Well, Jesus is God. Jesus has a relationship with God. He wants you to experience that same relationship with God the Father. So again, if you're at a place in your spiritual life where you feel like you're still searching for God and, and you want to find him and you want to be in a relationship with him, look no further than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that relationship with God the Father that you've been looking for. He comes to enlighten mankind. He comes to bring mankind into a relationship with God, with himself. That's why we call him Savior. That's why we call him Messiah. This is why John spends such a long amount of time describing who Jesus is so that you would be convinced that he is the only way to God. But there's a problem that Jesus runs into. You see, he's the creator of the world. Without him, nothing would be in this universe. He is the one that called it all into creation, and yet when he shows up to his creation, his creation doesn't recognize him. And not only that, he shows up to his creation, he shows up to the people 
that he's called out of that creation to redeem the world and they don't receive him. Jesus gets into so many arguments with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. They don't want him to be with them, and yet he is the one that created them. He is the one that called them out of darkness. Have you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? If, if you haven't seen the show, it's, it's really fascinating. You've got these companies that, that begin to get stagnant in their profits or in their growth. And so one of the things they do is they dress up as if though they're just a regular employee and they start at the bottom of, their, of the corporate ladder and they begin to work with people because they want to see what are the workers doing that I can't see from my office up in the, the uh, wherever they work. And so a lot of times what they'll do is they'll, they'll put, you know, mustaches or they'll dye their hair, they'll dress up different. And, you know, as a viewer, I, I just have to point this out. Sometimes you sit back and you're like, really? You, 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 camera crew's following this guy around who knows everything about the company and you don't know that that's your boss? And, and what's fascinating about the show is sometimes the workers will begin to tell these sad stories and the boss will listen to it and what he'll realize is, oh wow, my workers need this or that in the workplace and it'll flow better. But you know, sometimes what they see is workers purposefully breaking the rules. And in fact, there was one episode where this guy went into one of his fast food chains and everything was a mess. It wasn't clean, they weren't doing anything right, and he looked at the producers behind the camera and he said, we're shutting it down. And, and all the employees said, who's this new guy telling us that we're shutting it down? And you know, he rips off his mustache and, oh, you're the owner. <laughs> but the boss comes through, and even though he built the company, even though his money is flowing into the pockets of his employees, they don't recognize him. Even though he's the one that sets the rules and he's trying, and it's funny sometimes, they'll sit there and say, well, you're not supposed to do that, are you? And the employee will say, ah, the boss isn't around. We can do whatever we want. But he's coming through and he's trying to fix things and yet his own employees don't recognize him. Now, that's just a TV show. That's, that's just some companies that are in America. We're talking about the savior of mankind, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of our lives. And when Jesus comes into the world, he meets with his creation and they don't know who he is. He begins to teach the law with authority that no one else has ever had. And when they begin to hear that he knows the law better than they do, they push him away. And in fact, they begin to set up this, this fake accusation that he is causing riots and that he is a disturbance to the people. When Jesus comes to save us, unfortunately, we were not there to receive him. But John says those who have received him, and of course, who he's writing to are those first and second century Christians, those, those Christians that walked with Jesus and told their kids about Jesus. John is writing these stories for them, and what he's assuring them is, if you've received him, he has received you. Again, John 
is trying to point us towards a relationship with God. He's trying to point us to that redemption that Jesus offers. And he says, for those who have received him, for those who do believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, those he has given the right to be called children of God. So now what we get to next is how did he come? This is more important than you might think, and and I'll begin to explain it, but what we get in verse 14 is God didn't just show up. You know, you, you look throughout the Old Testament and you have times where God comes down out of heaven. And you have many times where God shows up as a pillar of fire, where he shows up as a cloud of smoke. Uh, He shows up in visions. He speaks to his people. But God took a drastic step towards our redemption, this time in the way that he chose to come down to be with his people. He didn't just show up in a vision. He didn't show up in a fiery bush or a cloud of smoke or a pillar of fire. He showed up exactly like you and I. He became flesh just like us. And he didn't cheat the system. He didn't just show up as a full-grown man in flesh and blood. He started all the way from the beginning the same way that you and I have. He was in the womb of his mother for nine months. He was born as a helpless infant. Have you ever met a baby? There is nothing more helpless in this world than a newborn baby. A newborn baby has to be dependent on his or her mother. If a newborn baby is left alone, it will not survive. And we can rationalize all we want. Well, he's God, and and he's the son of God, and God wouldn't let that happen. Yeah, you want to know how God wouldn't let that happen? He gave Jesus a mother to be dependent on. Jesus came as a helpless infant dependent on another human for his survival for many, many years. Jesus came as an infant, and I'm going to take just a little step here. If I offend you, please forgive me. I don't know if Jesus was a perfect baby. I know we sing it in our songs, no crying he made. (laughs) At some point at 3 a.m., he got gas pains, and Joseph rolled over and acted like he couldn't hear it, and Mary got up and took care of him. He had dirty diapers. He needed to be fed at certain times. He had to go to school. For all you kids out there, you're not better than Jesus. You have to go to school. But Jesus did all of this just like us. He didn't cheat the system. He came all the way to the bottom and started where we are at 
where we were at, where we are at. He wasn't afraid to stoop so low to get on our level. Do you see how different this is from all the other times that God has appeared? In some ways now, we have no excuse. Because we can argue that, well, we have a human nature and things are just difficult. That very human nature, Jesus took on. Now, we don't believe that he was born with sin. Let me pause right there and say we do believe that he was perfect in that he had no sin in his life and he did not commit any sin. But I'm sure there were times that Mary had to say, Jesus, you need to clean up your room. The difference is, is he obeyed and he did it. <laughs> but John says that he dwelt among us. He lived with us. And even though the world didn't recognize him and his own didn't receive him, he continued to live among us and he showed us his glory. And what John is describing here is is the miracles that he performed, the teachings that he gave his disciples and the crowds. Jesus showed us his glory so that we could see with our own eyes that he truly was the Son of God, that he truly is God. Now, why does this all matter? Where do we go from here? Well, first of all, we are in awe of God's power and humility demonstrated in his coming at Christmas season. We are in awe of God's choosing to do this. And the truth is, only God could do this. No one else could take on this big of a task. No one else can transform like Jesus did. Jesus was able by the power of God, to keep his nature of God. He is still God, and yet somehow, we don't know, he took on humanity so that he was fully human, just like you and I, and yet he was fully God, which means he willfully submitted himself to some of the regulations of humanity. Only God could do that. We have to stand back in awe of his power and his ability and his choosing to do that for us. What C.S. Lewis says about this is that this is the grand miracle. In his book, Miracles, he talks about how every miracle that has ever occurred and every miracle that will ever occur is demonstrated in the coming of Jesus Christ into this world. What he says is that it was God on high coming down to mankind who was so low. And how he describes it, he says, this is the only way that God could have redeemed humanity. And the illustration he gives is, uh, it's like a power lifter. Have you ever seen the strongman competitions? Anybody ever wish you could compete in the strongman competition? But they have all of these ridiculous tasks that they have to go through, and a lot of it is just lifting stuff. I mean, that's 95% of the strongman competition is you have to lift things, and one of them is boulder lifting. And, and what you do is you have to go all the way to the ground 
to pick up this massive boulder and, and then you have to put it up on top of a post. In, in this competition, you have to go through like five of them or something like it. But what C.S. Lewis says is, just like a power lifter has to stoop all the way to the ground, he has to get all the way below that boulder, no matter how heavy it is, because if he doesn't get below it, he ain't going to lift it up. He has to get all the way down, and no matter how heavy it is, then, then he can stand up with it and lift it up top. Or another way he puts it is it's like a scuba diver who starts out above the sea, but he knows there's something down below. And how he describes it is like a scuba diver jumping in and going down into the darkness and not having any light, but he knows if he can get down to the bottom, there is something there that he can redeem. And sure enough, the scuba diver comes up with some treasure that he knew was down there. Nobody else could see it, but he knew it was there. But he had to go all the way down to get it. And only then, when he went all the way down, could he come back up to show everybody what was down there. That is what God has done with our salvation. By coming down as a baby, growing up as one of us, going to the cross, dying on the cross and being resurrected, Jesus has stooped so low as to get down on your level in order that in your salvation he can lift you back up to show you as his prized possession. But he had to come down in human form to accomplish this. C.S. Lewis says, this is the grand miracle. Any miracle you've ever witnessed or ever will witness is housed in this miracle, that God would be so high, yet he would come down so low so he can lift you back up. His power demonstrated in humility then requires that we humble ourselves. If we are so concerned about putting Christ back into Christmas, we need to keep in mind what Christ has done to come into our heart. He was not afraid to stoop so low to pick us back up. In our Christian life, as we look at this story and we step back just in awe and amazement at what God did, we need to reflect on that and let God guide us so that we cannot look at anything and say, I'm above that. I, I don't associate with this area because name the reason. Now, I, I don't mean enter into a bad relationship. If there's somebody that does you harm, you stay away from them. But what I mean by this is, are there any ministries that we know God is calling us to that we've decided, nah, that just, that's, I don't want to do that. Is there any area in our Christian life that we've not humbled ourselves even lower in order to listen to God's calling? Put it this way, is there still more that you have to give to Jesus Christ in your relationship with him? That is how we can put Christ back into Christmas this season humble ourselves to other people, serve other people as God would call us to do. 
And then we can share with them why we're doing it. It's because Christ has humbled himself so low to share with me. As I close this out, I, I found a quote that I just felt encapsulated what John 1 is all about, especially when we talk about the full life of Jesus from the time that he came down throughout his whole ministry. This is by uh, a pastor from the 19th century, F.B. Meyer. Christ was born of a woman, yet he made woman. He ate and hungered, drank and thirsted, yet he made the corn to grow on the mountains and poured the rivers from the crystal chalice. He needed sleep, yet he slumbers not and needs not to repair his wasted energy. He wept, yet he created the lacrimal duct system. That's the tears. He died, yet he is the ever-living Jehovah. And he even made the tree of his cross. He inherited all things by death, yet they were his before by inherent right. What else can we do but bow in reverence before such a stupendous miracle? Let's pray. God, we thank you for stooping so low. We thank you, God, this Christmas season for stooping so low and lifting us up. And God, we pray as we leave this place that you would guide us into areas of humbleness that you lay on our heart. Lord, if there's any area that we have been reluctant to enter into, if there's been a deeper relationship with you that we've been hesitant to, we pray, God, that we would step back and see the humbleness that you've demonstrated and we would follow in your footsteps. Lord Jesus, humble us this Christmas season so that we can share with others that you are the meaning for Christmas. Amen.